0: bulletin I believe has reference to Luke chapter 6 we're going to turn however to Proverbs chapter 11 Proverbs chapter 11 we'll make a reference or two to Luke chapter 6 in the course of the sermon and uh, the sermon has to do with Lord's day 42 I was informed that congregation in its uh, order of the Lord's of the Lord's days is around Lord's day 22 But my excuse for going to 42 is that I was in Loveland and we came home rather later in the the week, and I had occasion to preach this Lord's Day in Loveland, so it's fresh in my mind, and it has application. It's been some time, I think, since Dune has heard a sermon having to do with the law of God, if you're at Lord's Day 22, and it'll be a while before you hear one again. So, with that explanation, we... Turn to a consideration of the Eighth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Steal, and read portion of Proverbs 11. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. And now to verse 17. Verse 17. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. One benefits oneself spiritually. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The wicked worketh a deceitful work. But to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. They that are of a forward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are his delight. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered as a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman who is without discretion. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Now notice 24, there is that who scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that which withholdeth more than is meet, but it tendeth to... Poverty. It's true of agriculture, too, is it not, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. In the scattering and the distribution, there is an increase spiritually, and one who will simply keep to himself will in the end impoverish himself spiritually. The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, people shall curse him. The blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that delighteth, he that diligently seeketh good, procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come upon him. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, that winneth souls is wise. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. Any number of those verses, of course, apply to the Lord's Day and the Eighth Commandment. I just want to briefly point you back to verse 30 here. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The upright man, the believer, bears fruit and fruit for others in the body of Christ. Ties in with he that wins souls is wise, soul winning. That doesn't just apply to the calling of the gospel preacher, that he is to preach the gospel and that through him souls might be won. Christ having victory, but the office of all believer, how one lives is a testimony and don't think beloved the world doesn't know what belongs to Christianity in the treatment of others and even the use of goods in the interest not simply of self but of others, and often where the spirit is and where the spirit is working in a Another, they take note of that and begin to question why the difference, and that becomes occasion to bring another to the scriptures and to the gospel. So we are called to live and be then involved in what here is referred to as soul winning, bearing witness to Christ and the difference that he and his spirit make, which will be attractive to those in whom the spirit is working as he calls others to salvation, being attractive rather than an offense. With that, we turn to Lord's Day 42. And all I'm going to do before the introduction is read the two questions. When we come to the body of the sermon, I'll read the answers 42 thou shalt not steal has two questions what doth god forbid in the eighth commandment and then having given answers ask what doth god require in this commandment and notice beloved not simply what is forbidden but also is what is required and if you go through the explanation of the other laws you will find that, that same division, sometimes not both questions are asked, but the same division is, is made. They simply say, you know, what does the seventh commandment teach us? And then it says, what does God forbid in 109? But if you go to 108, it also explains what is required, to live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single, single life. What's forbidden and what is Required When it comes to the preaching of the law and then the keeping of the law unto godliness, beloved, it's not simply a matter of what one has refrained from, what I have not been guilty of doing, but also what have you been doing in the sense of service of God The Lord God, what have you and I contributed, notice the word, contributed, in connection with thou shalt not steal. What have you and I contributed to the body of Christ in service, following his example as a Christian, who came what? Simply to be ministered to, or to minister unto it's the same Lord Christ, beloved, whose words we read in Mark, who gave us the heart of the law, the great commandment, and the second like unto it. And the heart of the law was not simply what you have refrained from, what I have not done, though that is. Important, what you and I have refrained from and refused to enter into what temptation, but also how have we been living and how have we been a service to the body of Christ and serving Christ himself. Love. What's the heart of love? It's not simply that we like someone not simply that we have a certain attitude. Love, the love goes deeper than that. It has to do with seeking the well-being and the welfare of others, the whole of one's neighbor and contact, beginning with the body of Christ, but others as well. Christ himself gives us the supreme example of a sinful man who was yet pleasing to him. Ever hear of the good Samaritan? (coughs) Walking on his way to Jerusalem, up from Jericho, and a man in a ditch, and the Levite went past him, and this man's other Jewish brother as well. And the Samaritan stopped, and he bent down, and inconvenienced himself, and gave water and clean wounds and took him back down the Jericho Road to an inn and said, care for the man, and I will pay the bill. Without ever asking who that man was, knowing that he was probably a Jew who despised the Samaritan. And the one who despised him was the one (coughs) whom he helped. That's love. You understand the loved? Why, well, that takes grace. Bring it up in the sermon again. But that's discipleship. That's what is required, as we will read the explanation. That shows the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that confronts us with the question again, beloved. What have you and I been doing of late in the service of Christ, in the ministering to others? Not simply a selfish life, taking, taking, taking. And of what benefit are you to me? But of what benefit am I to you? And you one to another. This is... the law, the the heart of the law from Christ's own lips. And it's explained wonderfully here in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his They say ours, but they're his gifts given to us. So his here, God's gifts given to us. And now this, and this takes us to the heart of the law and of this commandment. What doth God require in this commandment, Christian? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. And in accordance with that catechism explanation and on the basis of the whole of God's word, we're going to consider the Eighth Commandment what it is that God forbids, what it is that Christ your Lord requires, and why, for what reasons? There's a number of them, and we must understand why the number of them. Thou shalt not steal. Which the catechism says is that we are not to take that which belongs to another. Take it to ourselves because we want it. We desire it. But when the catechism speaks of it, belonging to another to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, it also has reference to what God has given that neighbor. It's his because the sovereign God distributed as he pleased and gave it to this fellow's hand to be a steward of. And it's not yours then or mine, it's his by the Sovereign distribution of God. And when one involves himself in theft by some dishonest means, then one is challenging God's sovereignty of distribution. And beloved, it's a serious, serious sin. It goes back to our very origin beloved, it was, from a certain point of view, theft that introduced into this creation of God death and violence and all the misery that followed, because our first parents were two thieves, given the whole of creation. It's all yours, with one exception that I withhold from you, that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That I reserve for myself, as it were. Stay away. And that too, they wanted. It was attractive to the eyes, and they developed a certain appetite for the fruit to give me temporary satisfaction. And I will make for myself the decision what's good for me and what is not. Who is God that he should make that decision for me? Challenging the sovereignty of God. That's no small sin. I remind you, beloved, on the cross, Christ Jesus died between two thieves. They were malefactors. They were murderers as well, they were willing to turn to violence to take what they wanted, but they were at heart two thieves, and one by the grace of God and the mercy and power of Lord Jesus was saved. But that does not take away from the seriousness of that sinner saint's life and sin. It is a challenge, you see, of the sovereignty of God. Who is God that he should distribute as he pleases? And I have to live with that because he has more and I have less and he has what I want. And who is God that he should withhold that (coughs) from me? And as I said, it's theft and the covetousness that ties in with theft that brought the whole of the misery into this present world And because that spirit continues in this world, the miseries, beloved, are compounded and continue to grow day by day. The Catechism declares that God forbids not only thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrates, but even those, it's going to go on to say, that the magistrate may not be aware of and does not itself punish, which does not mean you have not been guilty of theft. But God comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby one may take another unawares. One is naive. One is simple. He doesn't know. That's to my advantage and to his advantage. Buyer, beware. <coughs> you know, isn't that the spirit out there with many? It is beloved either by force or, says here, by <coughs> tricks and devices. And we understand that it's able to do this by tricks and Devices. One might say, well, how many of us are really guilty of taking something by force? How many of us have robbed a store or some other place by force, you know? A muzzle to a temple, your money or your life. I would suppose not many in our denomination. I say not many because just recently I talked to a man of our church as a member now, who was converted by the gospel in prison and was there for armed robbery. He's been out for a number of years, and the testimony of the congregation is the sincerity of his repentance and godliness, a man who I talked for quite a time, who is well-versed. He is on his third reading through Calvin's Institutes, putting myself to shame. The Spirit took hold of him by the gospel and turned a thief into an honest man who lives now for one purpose, to hear the gospel and to be of service to the congregation where his membership in some way or the other. But not many in our denomination have tried to rob a store by force but there are those in our churches who have robbed stores. It's called shoplifting, isn't it? I hope our young people are listening. It's a plague out there, uh, epidemic proportions, shoplifting, value added to every item we buy because of the percentage. Some think almost 20% goes out the store unpaid for, not only those who are shopping, but the employer, the employees themselves. We live in a lawless society, and beloved, it's a lawlessness that is compounded by the lawlessness of the lawmakers these days, who go on record in some ways of even promoting this mentality during, due to what they call entitlement rights. So they have let the merchants know that they may take merchandise from the, from the store up to $25, $50, and they're not going to criminalize that. You may find them and take them to the authorities, and they will reprove the man and, say, return the property, perhaps, and then send the man on, on his way, almost as though, well, it's to be expected, and it's kind of a certain right, entitlement. Sheer hypocrisy, when all is said and done, they know what they have just approved of or refused to penalize is evil and sin. Follow one of those legislators to his home, and when he opens the garage, just go into it and lift up some of his tools and say, "Well, these aren 't even worth fifty dollars, you know I should be a, and see how he hollers to high heaven. Now so suddenly they want justice and righteousness, and penalize this crook this criminal here, but when it comes to others, well. You may take what you want. Just don't take it from me, the heart, beloved, of legislatures in this increasingly lawless age. Iniquity becomes right, and what is right becomes iniquity. In this society, we live and must raise our children to be honest, and it's not simply a matter in the end of whether one will be penalized and punished by the authorities or not catechism says there are those punishable by authorities. But what does God say about the matter? And shoplifting, I don't care if it's only worth a dollar or five dollars. It's as serious as running off with having robbed a store behind a gun. It's a transgression of the law. And in the first place, it challenges God's sovereign right in his distribution of goods. But it also shows, beloved, the heart the corruption of the heart, what the heart values. That was our first parents again. They had a piece of fruit that would give temporary satisfaction, and they had the friendship of God. And make a choice now between the two, because if you choose the fruit, you just spit at the friendship of God. I can do without that. And they waited and decided, this piece of fruit that will give me temporary satisfaction means more to me, than the friendship of God and fellowship with him. You think that's a small matter? That is not a small matter. And beloved, that God should continue to love such a people and be willing to forgive such a people and restore his relationship with such a people is an astounding astounding matter of the mercy of God and belongs to the heart of the gospel concerning this Savior God because he does not take theft lightly. If you don't believe it, read the opening chapters of Genesis again and the consequences that followed upon the whole of the human race. So the matter of this sin, close to the human heart, that of the fallen human nature. Society itself, in the end, knows that to be true. And they know how prevalent that is, And knowing how prevalent it is, they know there must yet be laws against theft, with penalties and sometimes a very, very serious source. They're going to protect even their own property, and so you'll have government regulations with penalties attached, and that's what the catechism is getting at when it speaks of appearance of right as by unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury. notice the list goes on in, in ways man has devised to cheat others and steal from others, and any other way forbidden by God is also all covetousness itself, which is the root of course. Weights and L's and measures and fraudulent merchandise and so on. Government regulations. The uh, language of course is Old English, if you will, of a bygone age, but it's applicable to our own age as well. The L's has to do with a measurement. That was the common measurement, something between a foot and two feet, maybe around 20 inches, they, they think, and that's how they would sell their fabric on the, on the marketplace. How much fabric do you, do you want as you would make your own clothes? Well, I want three L's of it, and they would measure it out by their, their stick. Maybe it was 20 inches, and maybe it was only 18 inches. How would one know until the government... Inspector came along with the uh, government standard and would unannounced take his government standard and measure against the merchant standard. I see you're short changing your customer by an inch and a half or so. You're out of business. You're done. Same thing, you know, with the the weights. The balances, of course. Supposedly a pound. You want a pound of flour? Uh, here's in the balance. they are supposed to Weigh the balance, supposed to be, be even. Here's your pound of flour, ma'am. And the government inspector comes along with his weight, government standard, and suddenly his pound is a little heavier than the merchant's pound. I see you've been shortchanging your, your customers by about a two ounces of, of, of flour per purchase. Close down the shop, sir. You're out of business for a time. Restraint of sin by threats, you see, and penalties. How else do you control... Society so prone to seek my own advantage at your expense today too, how can you be sure you're getting a gallon of gas for 350 a gallon says so on the pump and the inspector comes along he has his own measurement of the of the fluid measurement of 120 ounces of fluid for for the gallon. And he puts it into his measurement, and it's only one hundred and twenty ounces instead of one hundred twenty eight ounces of, of fluid for the 350 close down the service station, sir. you're cheating the customer penalty you see, and threat of penalty, and thus to keep society in line, otherwise, the legislature says, I too will be cheated and be taken advantage. It's to my own advantage. But love, that's not in the end what must rule the Christian just because if I get caught there's going to be a penalty and maybe a heavy penalty and who knows what will do my, to my reputation as well. Are we more concerned about our reputation or Christ's reputation when all is said and done? Not because it's simply forbidden and there's penalty attached because who we are, what God requires and in the end Doing this will show a love and a consideration for my neighbor as I have been so loved and forgiven by my Lord and Savior for the dishonesty that dwells in my heart and to which I myself would be prone to left to myself. Indeed, not only then that which is punishable by the magistrate, but as seen by God himself. And so it is demonstrated again and again. i want to simply give you a brief little incident of which I am aware, having watched a documentary about 30 years ago which made an impression upon me on the diamond industry in New York City. Has ties to Amsterdam in the Netherlands and then to the diamond mines in South Africa. And they did do a documentary on the whole diamond industry, and especially on the Jewish enclave in New York City, and the dealing with the, the diamonds and their professed honesty amongst themselves. These diamond merchants, as they traded diamonds and evaluated diamonds and so on, and the <coughs> laws and understood amongst those diamond merchants merchants was stringent in their chain exchanging and dealing with diamonds and if someone was found uh, having replaced a man's diamond as they looked each other's diamonds over with an I- with an inferior diamond for a better diamond of higher quality he was out of the industry for for a life and so they kept themselves honest but how honest were they said the documentary and they sent a young couple in that was engaged to buy a diamond ring looking for a wonderful diamond, and this merchant offered them this diamond at about $8,000 back then. Who knows how much it would cost now? And then another diamond, well, that was only about $5,000. What's the difference? They're the same size. Well, this ma'am, has a purity, and you'll see we put this in the, the purity of the EFG category along the, the alphabetical line. And this one is o- only of the, of the NOP category category. You see, and he has a shirt on, he puts it against his shirt. You see how white this diamond is and how yellowish this diamond in safe size, but different quality. So this is 8,000. This is only 5,000. It has everything to do with the clarity of this diamond, the purity, the whiteness. And they bought it in a setting and left the building. Three months later, another team comes back with that same diamond out of the setting. And asked the merchant, we have this diamond, mother has passed away, what will you give for this diamond? And he takes it, and he looks at it, well, this is of an inferior sort. This belongs in the NOP category. And he said, we were assured it was of higher quality. Oh no, man, white, white page, he puts it, see, it's yellowish. So maybe I can give you fifteen to $2,000, that's all. But we were assured, well, ma'am, whoever assured you that took advantage of you and played you for the fool. Really? And they have the camera, and they show, recognize that man, that man, sir? I believe that's you, is it not? Out of here, out of here, out of here. goes back, you know, to the scriptures, to the Proverbs, selling and buying Seth the buyer, it is not, it's not, it's not worth a whole lot. But when he's gone his way, he boasteth about what a good bargain he has made and taken advantage of another, you say. It goes back to the Proverbs in the heart. It's not, it's not, it's worth nothing, not very much at all when I'm buying it. But when I'm going to sell it, now suddenly the quality has greatly increased and one has been taken advantage of. There's little that the law can do but the Lord God sees it. But I bring that story out because it reminds us, beloved, that when it comes to theft, it's not simply the breaking of the Eighth Commandment. The Ninth is involved almost always as well with lies and deception, and it rises out of the Tenth, covetousness, and it ties in often with the First, because this is what I live for, this is what I want. It becomes as my... God, if you will, I'm willing to sin against the Lord God himself because I want and desire this so much for myself. The sin syndrome, the love tied in with theft. And so we underscore again this is a serious matter illuminating in the end the heart and where one's heart is. Challenging, as we have said, the sovereignty of God himself in a very practical way. Who is God that he should determine who has this and who has that? Exposing the heart and what one desires and what, will even, what one will even forfeit in the interest of this desire. Even fellowship with God? Worth that? And then the sin syndrome as well and how many commandments can be broken all in one fell so beloved, the calling to take heed and if the transgression is confessed, it is, is committed that there be indeed a sincere confession and a resolution that one will walk from now on as an honest man in accordance with God's law governed by the principle of Love and in the, in the knowledge of what God himself has forgiven me and given me as well in the largeness and the benevolence of his own, own will. But going on in the catechism makes plain that the sin of theft does not only have to do with material goods and merchant, merchandise, It speaks here of the gifts that we have as well. He forbids as also all covetousness and all abuse and waste of one's gifts, his gifts. And one may talk along the lines of of talents and abilities that one has been, been given as gifts, and of course they are not simply ours to use for our own satisfaction but given to us with an interest to the body of Christ, and in serving the body of Christ, we serve the Lord God as Christ served God by ministering unto his body. But even something, beloved, so precious as time. How precious is time? Notice that word precious. How we spend time. Notice the word spent. Does it profit us? Notice the word profit we speak of time like a currency, don't we? And we ought to. We only have, you know, so many, many minutes and seconds of life, and we can just, like a prodigal, spend them. in whose interest? For whose sake? And then you come to the hour of death, and suddenly time becomes more precious, more valuable. How have I spent my time on earth? How have I spent the Lord's gift of time. To me, Lord, was it simply self, self, self? Or did it have others in mind? Beginning with those loved by God and precious to Christ, my brothers and sisters of the body of Christ, and then going on as well to the other neighbors as well, but beginning with the body of Christ. At the end of a day, this day, How did I spend it? Where did I spend it? For whose profit? For your own? On the Lord's day, beloved, it can be for your own. Your own spiritual profit. Because if we are benefited ourselves spiritually and profit, we have more to distribute to others with others in mind, with the body of Christ. But you know, understand our mentality must not be this when we have free time and it's always simply a matter of I go a fishing there was a disciple you know who said that I go a fishing and at that point mainly he meant I'm going to spend the rest of my life fishing but that wasn't the Lord's will for him was it spend the rest of his life simply fishing, though he would have used that for a livelihood. Simon Peter and the others in the boat, I have another purpose for you. You're going to serve my church in the ministry of the gospel. You're going to fish for men and be of service to me by serving others in that way. But for us, too, every spare moment I go fishing or Nothing wrong with such in themselves, beloved. There's many things not wrong in themselves. Sports isn't wrong in themselves. But how many hours spent and spent and spent? And then after you've developed your own skills to sit down and watch and watch and watch. And in the Lord's Day, too. The games, you know. And then tomorrow you can talk, simply spend hours and hours listening to them talk about the trivial pursuit and profiting whom and how a place beloved certainly has a place sports and so on but how large a place and to whose profit in the end or is it merely a waste of the gift given to God even reading and here I have to preach to myself, myself rather than to my brothers who like to, sp- who like to hunt and fish nothing wrong with reading Read, as the teachers tell their students, read. But hour after hour after hour, and my whole life is in books. What kind of books? Of any spiritual profit at all? Or just escapism? A waste in the end, if that's all was involved, becomes indeed a transgression. The waste of God's good gift of time and of the buying of books. There is no end. And it's not wrong to buy hunting equipment and sports equipment and books. But what if it shortchanges me when it comes to the collection because I've spent so much on myself with this paraphernalia. I don't have anything really left for the kingdom or very, very little because I've taken care of myself. First, you know, transgression, beloved, of the Eighth Commandment. Where are our priorities when all is said and done? What's first? And then the other to be used with a wisdom for recreation and so on, but with the interest of reviving oneself for the sake of the service of the kingdom. And so redeem the times. Notice the word redeem because it has to do with purchasing. Use the time to purchase something that it might be spent in the end for the service of Christ and his body and others. This is the will of our Lord. And that brings us to the transition from what is forbidden to what does God re- require. And we have talked to some, we've considered to some extent what God requires already, but it's especially made explicit here in question answer 111. What does God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. That's penetrating. That's shrewd. That's insightful. And my old man, by which I don't refer to my father, isn't so happy with that. I much prefer, beloved, by my human nature, that you read it this way, that you promote my advantage in every instance that you can or may and deal with me as as you desire me to deal with you. That reading appeals to me. That you'll deal with me with understanding and patience and every consideration and seek my advantage. I can live with that. But that's not how it's read. It reads that I'm supposed to promote the advantage of my neighbor, in every instance I can, and I'm supposed to deal with him as I desire to be. Beloved, that's not simply a horse of a different color. That's an altogether different species. The first reading, beloved, that you promote my advantage in every instance that you can and you deal with me as you desire me to deal with you, that's the reading, of the serpent, of the viper. You take care of me first with understanding and consideration. That's not the speech of the Lamb. The speech of the Lamb is what we read, beloved, when Christ summarized the law and what you also find in Luke chapter 6. And as ye, as ye would, says Christ, this is a summary of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, in Luke. And as ye would that men should deal with you, so also do ye also to them likewise. As you would that men should do to you. That's what Christ says. Do ye also to them likewise. If you love them, seek their well-being of those only who have done good to you. What thank have you sinners, the Pharisees and the scribes, do that. That's not yet Christianity. This is Christianity. This is the calling of the believer. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you and to seek their advantage and their profit. Lord, even those who have dealt unfairly with me, they haven't dealt very justly with me, and now I have to do good to them? Ever heard of the Good Samaritan? How he was dealt with by the Jews, as they all were? And yet he kneels down and he deals with this Jew and tends to his well-being. And Christ holds it up as an example because this, Christ says, is a reflection of my spirit as I have dealt with you, is it not? Beloved, this takes grace. You know, when it comes to, to the treatment by others of myself, I have 20-20 vision. Lack of understanding and all the rest where they have wronged me. Sometimes a tremendous memory as well. But when it comes to my treatment of others, suddenly I lose that clarity of, of vision and can't see so well who has mistreated the other. And then one goes to the word. And then one sins to the preaching. And one, spirit works. And it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord and the need of that grace, first of all. This, beloved, is what God requires in his his law. And this is where confession must be made, and this is where prayer must be made for his good and Holy Spirit that I may grow in these graces, in these virtues, contrary to my own nature and develop in my love, in the sense of consideration for others, not simply how others have treated me, how others have treated me, how others have treated me. But how have I treated others? Even those, perhaps, who have mistreated myself or spoken evil as the display of Christ Jesus. This is our calling, and this, as I say, is what shows his Holy Spirit working properly. And this is pleasing to the Lord. There are those, you know, who have spent themselves in the service of Christ. I can hold to your attention an apostle Paul, how he spent himself saved from his own sin like that former prisoner I mentioned, saved by grace, and he gave himself to the service of the body of Christ. And a Kelvin. But beloved, it's not simply these great theologians. It has to do with the common member of the pew. Ever hear of motherhood and the service of the mother, spending her time for whom? The little ones. Coming to the end of the day, have you done so perfectly? No, Lord, I have not. Forgive my imperfections, but beloved, when the mothers of Israel Give of themselves in answer to the demands of their children and teach them God's word. Don't think the Lord does not approve as that's mixed with prayer for forgiveness and for his Holy Spirit and then continuing to labor at one's own expense draining oneself perhaps because this is my calling and these belong to the Lord Jesus whom I love them and the children as well. Motherhood, the price above rubies, and the grace is given to spend oneself, and there is a fruit in the end, a profit, is there? Is there not, and its own reward, as Scripture speaks of it, by God's grace. Why? Why do this? I could say because God says so. He's the sovereign God. He's God, I'm man. God says it, you do it. Or here's the club, here's the stick. God could do that. But he does more than that, doesn't he? He reminds us. I am your God. I delivered you from the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, and I set you free. And I did that at great cost in gratitude for what I have done for you and begun in you, return this service to me in Christ's name, in gratitude, but even in the sense of it will profit. It will bear spiritual benefits like the planting of seed. You plant scarcely little harvest, plant abundantly, and the Lord will also bring forth an abundant harvest as well, spiritually profiting one, growth beloved, but not only for self, but for the others as well. But in the end, I hold before you the cross of Christ Jesus. That's crucified, as I said, between two thieves. The Lord of all. The Lord of all. Whole of creation was his as a son of God. And mankind stripped him naked. Took from him everything he had. Would leave him with nothing at all. And what does he pray? Father, forgive them. For they know not the enormity of what they do. And his prayer was heard. And we, represented by those thieves, and especially by the one on his right, are saved and receive the everlasting inheritance from this Christ, this Lord, who died in our stead. God gave him beloved. God so loved, God so gave, all that we have is his. Shall we not serve him? May heed, beloved, to the word. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word, the gospel itself, Christ Jesus. We are powerless apart from his spirit, grant us that spirit, and so may we go forth and show whose we are, even in our dealings one with another, and governed by that truth of self-denying love. In Jesus' name, amen.